0: Amen. Uh, Just before we go to God with the word of prayer, um, I do want to just clarify a few of our announcements. Uh, The Bible Talk Leaders meeting scheduled for 12:30 for Harlem is canceled, as well as the uh, big uh, Bible Talk Leaders meeting that was scheduled for downtown. So, no meeting today. All right. Uh, And also uh, for the Hope Day of Giving, we're just asking for $12 per member because we give weekly towards the poor. So. All Harlem, all the New York City church is responsible for uh, is $12 per person, not 52 So just to make sure that that was clear. And um, it's good to see everybody, especially those who were uh, partying with uh, Tim and O'Manel last night. Yeah. Let's go to God with the word of prayer because I need some strength right now. <laughs> uh, great and awesome Father, we are so grateful that we get to come before you. And worship you, God. I pray that my words will be yours. And, Lord, as we conclude our series on living out your grace, I pray, Father, that you'll teach us how to love those who are not easy to love. And, uh, Father, that you'll also teach us how to love ourselves and forgive uh, the areas of our lives where we've fallen short. Uh, just like uh, Daryl said, well, you are a God of second chances. And we're just grateful for every second chance that we get uh, from you. And we appreciate the second chances we get from our brothers and sisters as well. And we pray that you'll help us to be consistent uh, in uh, showing that same grace to others. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to uh, conclude um, our series, Living God's Grace, with learning how to live with our enemies. And, you know, I I think in light of uh, these recent events it's, probably, it's really difficult when you think about having to live with the enemy. And sometimes those, uh, it's not always clear who, who our enemies are. As you'll see just in a second here, sometimes our enemies don't start off as our enemies. Sometimes they start off as very dear friends. Or or maybe a family member that you, you grew up with and you were inseparable and then something happened over the years that fractured that relationship. And where you were once close friends and family, now you're enemies. You know, sometimes our enemies are too close for comfort. I mean, think about it. We were supposed to meet in the location where these bombs went off. God is gracious. God is amazing. And sometimes our enemies are right there in our, back, our backyard. But let me just start by clarifying what an enemy is and who our enemies are. And I'll let you identify for yourself because I think sometimes we think that people trying to help us are our enemies. Sometimes those who speak the truth to us, we look at as enemies because they won't let us have the fun we want to have. They always got something to say. And we think, that's my enemy. Some people have, they just decided in their hearts that anyone in authority or any type of position over me is my enemy. They just decide in their hearts. Or anyone who doesn't see things the way I see it, I can't roll with them. You know, an enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone else. Enemies are not only criminals. They're anyone whose interests, priorities, and behavior conflicts badly with our own. You know, people who endanger our lives on the road, who just are reckless. People who compete unethically with us at our jobs or abuse our hospitality. Someone who may show no respect or compassion for you or others can be considered an enemy. And you know, sometimes there are people we find it really just difficult to get along with. You've, you've tried to extend your friendship. You've, you've tried to love them, and they just refuse to accept Your relationship. Where do you draw the line? Where do you say, all right, you know, enough is enough? You know, I believe that we need to be like what Proverbs 4 says we need to guard our hearts. You know, Jesus didn't give his heart to everyone because he knew it was in the heart of man. Jesus didn't roll with everybody, but he died for everyone. Isn't that something? See, living amongst our enemies is not easy, and it doesn't always bring out the best in us. Late one summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska, Nebraska, my words slur a little bit. It's just because I, you know, I'm I'm operating on maybe a couple hours of sleep, partying last night with our brother, Timbala, and our sister, Omanel. You know what's funny? I'm just a little sidetracked right here, but... (laughs) We come to church on Sunday and we sing songs, especially like them songs, See Kuriwana, and you got to, you know, the part where it says you got to dance, and, you know, i dance with him. And I be looking. And I see some of y'all, y'all be like, you know, that little, you know, little corny dance, like, oh, I don't want anybody to see me really get down. But then at a wedding, I'm like, hold up. And I mean, I'm like, brother, God moves. Let me see that in C. Coriwana. I should have the singers come up right now and do C. Coriwana. And all of those, it was at Tim's wedding last year. See, like, uh-huh. See, look, I keep it consistent. I got a two-step that I do with everything. Even C. Coriwana. I two-step with the Lord. I two-step at a wedding. So, y'all better imitate. All right? All right, let's get back on track. now. So, Late one summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska, a weary truck driver pulls his rig into an all-night truck stop. The waitress had just served him when three tough-looking leather jacket motorcyclists of the Hell Angels type decided to give him a hard time. The man wasn't bothering anybody. Not only did they verbally abuse him, one grabbed a hamburger off his plate, another took a handful of his french fries, And the third picked up his coffee and began to drink it. How would you respond? Somebody said, whoa, like, not me. Well, this trucker did not respond as one might expect. Instead, he calmly rose, picked up his check, walked to the front of the room, put the check and his money on the cash register, and went out the door. The waitress followed him to put the money in the till and stood watching out the door as the big truck drove away into the night. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, well, he's not much of a man, is he? She replied, well, I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. <laughs> you know, G- <laughs> this is the type of stuff we deal with today, right? Now, I wouldn't advise that, obviously. But, you know, Jesus and his disciples experienced a similar situation in Luke 9 verse 51 to 56. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 56. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him and he went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people did not welcome him there because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. Now, there's a radical difference in the way Jesus handled his situation and the way the truck driver handled his situation. Now, I'm thinking... James and John would have handled it the way the truck driver did, because they were saying, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and, and, and thunder and, and lightning? How many of us would have been like James and John? You sitting down, you can't tell me. You sitting down at a restaurant, and somebody comes and picks up your sandwich and eat it, and you're going to be like, May the Lord bless you and keep you. Come on. Somebody step on your feet, you ready to throw down. But see, I I imagine the disciples were probably puzzled when Jesus rebuked them. Like, why is he rebuking us? We're trying to do some good. We're doing what you told us to do. And these ungrateful people are, are, are fighting against us. Let us tear them down. They don't know who you are. Let us deal with them. Jesus rebuked that. I could imagine maybe they, they were disappointed. Because they were Jesus' right hand man. Yeah, I'm protecting you, Jesus. There's a good reason to justify us calling down lightning and thunder and burning this town up. You're the son of God. And I'm going to sit on your right, and he's going to sit on your left. <laughs> then I thought maybe they were amazed and impressed by how poised and self-controlled Jesus was. See, Jesus, Jesus had a purpose. He had a bigger picture. He was on a mission. And he wasn't going to let anything or anyone keep him from fulfilling that mission. And you and I get to benefit from Jesus showing poise and self-control in this situation. The story could have been entirely different had Jesus said, "Go you know what? Well, go ahead. Just, just wipe them out." That wouldn't be so exciting, would it? We, we, we wouldn't. We'd be like, "Yeah, that's what I would have done, Jesus." But there's something about the way Jesus handled this situation that calls us higher. Because it goes against our nature on how we deal with people who mistreat us. Now I'm going to tell you right now, with the news, the, the, if it hasn't already, what, what, what news channels and newspapers are going to say come tomorrow, you, you're going to see a lot of people afraid and angry. I was watching it on my way before coming to church this morning and, you know, there were some people who were afraid. There were some people who were upset. There were some people, you know, our candidates are saying we're going to do this and we're going to change that. Nobody said anything along the lines of what Jesus did. You see, we can choose whether or not our enemies will bring out the best or worst in us. And we have the ability to show restraint just like Jesus. You know, it's clear. These people were not fans of Jesus. And so today, I want to take a look at a relationship that started off great, but then took a terrible turn where one friend became an enemy in the relationship. And that's David and King Saul. You know, I think sometimes... When we think about living with the enemy, we don't realize that sometimes the enemy can be a lot closer than we realize. You know, if, if you go through life without having any bad experience in a relationship or you've lived with great neighbors all your life and you've never had anyone rub you the wrong way, it's only a matter of time because people are just sinful. And at some point in time, maybe we were the ones who were the enemies of someone else. Maybe it was just us refusing to to bend or us refusing to forgive or us refusing to let go of hurt. And in turn, we became the enemy. It's not above us. We all have the potential to do great harm or great good. And the reason why Jesus set this example for his disciples, he said, you guys have the potential to do great harm right now. But I want you, I need you to do great good. So let's look at this relationship right here. In 1 Samuel 17, you guys with me, right? Saul was king of Israel. Saul was a man that God had once chosen. Saul was Israel's first king. God did not want to appoint a king. God told the people, I'll be your king. But the people insisted, no, we want a king just like everybody else. And so God said, okay, I'll send one of my prophets. He sent Samuel, and I will appoint you a king. And he went and he found Saul hiding in the baggage, hiding in the luggage. Now, if you read the story of King Saul, Saul started off great. He was walking faithfully with God. God had brought him great victory. But then something something went awry in his relationship with God. Now, we see here when David and Saul first meets, it's at the battle lines where Israel is facing the Philistines. And we know the story of The champion Goliath comes up and he's shouting out defiance against Israel and against God. And David's standing around. He's delivering lunch to his brothers. And he hears this gigantic guy yelling defiant words to God's army. And he sees God's army cowering in the trenches. And so David's looking around like, what in the world's going on here? Who's going to do something about this guy? I'll do something. Since no one wants to step up, I'll do something. And David goes in verse 32 of, of 1 Samuel 17. It says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are no, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When the lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So then David goes. Now you notice that Saul didn't say, come on, I'll go with you. He said, go, and the Lord be with you. He was going back to take him a nap. So David goes, goes on, he kills, you know, kills Goliath. And what I love about that story, it's like you can see David's youth. He not only kills Goliath, he cuts off his head and he just walks around the camp with it like a trophy like you know. And when they bring him before Saul, he still has this gigantic head in his hand and he's going up to say, "Yeah, you know, this is a trophy. He did something awesome for God." And so David rescues, is he inspires God's people. He becomes Saul's new general. Saul even goes as far as moving David into his castle so that he can be close to him. And then David and Saul's son Jonathan, I mean, Saul's son Jonathan, they become best of friends. It's a great study, studying out Jonathan and David's relationship. And then Saul even goes further and gives David his daughter's hand in marriage. And life was good. Up until the singing started. Look over in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. It says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they dance, they sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was like, What? He was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have cre- credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But with me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Drop down to verse 12. It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him a command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Start to see, see now where this is taking a turn, right? What started off as a great partnership for God starts to take a terrible turn. Now, the songs that the the women, that was traditional. Whenever a king returned from war, the women would sing praises. It was a way of of excitement. It was a way to, to celebrate. And so they sung, the song never meant to pit David against Saul. It never meant to make Saul seem inferior to David. It was basically a song saying, look at how this partnership has brought great Glory to Israel. But because Saul's spiritual relationship started to deteriorate, his relationship with David also began to deteriorate. You see, when God leaves, our mind, our way of thinking becomes very worldly. It says that God left him and went with with David. See, Saul had stopped seeking out God. He had stopped putting God first. He started to believe his own hype. That's why this psalm bothered him so much, because it was him they used to sing about. But now David's on the scene, and instead of being grateful and happy that God had sent someone to help him bring more victory to God, he was afraid and threatened and jealous of what God was doing in David's life. Has this ever happened to you? Things were great at the beginning, but then somehow things took a terrible turn? See, it's at that moment we have a decision to make about that relationship. You know, something interesting happened in chapter 19. Look over chapter 19, 1 Samuel 19, verses 9 through 11. You know, God has a way of teaching us deep spiritual lessons here in these great stories of the Bible, which is why... You know, it's hard for me to understand how we can get bored reading our Bibles. I mean, when you read stories like this, it can teach you so much. I mean, it's, you know, this is just stuff that is just awesome thing. Now, you, you're not always going to understand everything we read, but I mean, good night. You know, Saul taking a spear and throwing it at David's head. I mean, that's not exciting to you. I mean, that's, that's the type of stuff we get on TNT and FX. Like, yeah, that's what I want to see. You know, you can save you a few bucks and read your Bible instead of going to see an action movie. But in verse 9, it says, But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. Imagine this scene. King Saul sitting on his throne. And the spirit of God that used to dwell in him has been replaced with this evil worldly spirit. And he's sitting up there with that stick, not how Timbala was waving his stick last night at the wedding, but he's banging this thing on the ground looking at David as David was playing the harp to soothe Saul. Since while David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. I mean, could you imagine how much force it would take for someone to throw a spear and try to pin someone to the wall? That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Now put yourself in David's shoes for a second here. Here you are, all you were doing, you were minding your own business. You were just bringing lunch to your brothers. And you see a need and you decide, well, look, you know, I can meet this need. And you go ahead and you serve. And, and, and just, you know, and you walk away with a nice little trophy because of what you did. And you're doing it for God because David said, who is it that defies the army of the living God? He wasn't even doing it for Saul. So you have great intentions. You're doing this for God. And, and you put forth your bef- best effort. And here you go. You're, you're, you're doing it. Th- and then your friend, instead of seeing the good that you're trying to do, is jealous and threatened by how God is blessing your life and has appeared to stop blessing their life. See, here's the problem with Saul's thinking. God was using David to win all these wars, but who was getting the glory? The king. He was still benefiting from David's victories. He wasn't entirely lost in this relationship. But when we become worldly in our thinking and allow jealousy and the the fear of, of, of God blessing someone over us, when we allow these things to creep into our hearts, we don't see what God is really doing. Saul became threatened. He was afraid. He was jealous. And he wanted to kill David. You know, in chapter 18 it says that Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And he was afraid. When Saul's spiritual condition with God began to deteriorate, so did their relationship. See, Saul, he was, he, was, he was once like David, used by God, a great guy, but then his heart got hard. But that's not what I want to focus on. Because I'm pretty sure we can go through a laundry list of enemies or people we feel like don't like us. Sometimes it's right, and sometimes our enemies are really just perceived enemies. They're not actually our enemies. Sometimes we're just kind of caught in the uh, aftermath of somebody else's bad decisions. And they're not necessarily your personal enemy. They're just kind of the enemy of, you know, everybody. I want to focus on David. Because I believe that the way David handled his relationship with Saul, we can all benefit from. At some point in our life, we're going to run into someone, whether it be a coworker, whether it be a boss, whether it be someone under us, whether it be a relationship that started off great, whether it was a relationship in the church, we're all going to experience some conflict. Some relationships are going to go sour. But we have a decision to make about how we carry ourselves in those situations. There's n- it's not a reality to assume that you're ever going to live without enemies. Sometimes our enemies are very clear. And sometimes your enemies may remain hidden for as long as you live. You may never get to see your enemies. Especially nowadays with social media. Where everybody, where people hide behind their posts. Instead of talking face-to-face, you got something to say, let's talk about it face-to-face. It's easy to hide behind a post or a tweet. Let's talk it out. So in this day and age, it's only going to multiply. You will have enemies on the other side of the world. You didn't realize you even met. I hate you, hashtag, like, I, Who? where are you from? I don't even know who you are. It's how David dealt with Saul that really, that's what we need to focus on. What would you do if God gave you the chance to get back at one of your enemies? Let's let that marinate for a i I'm going to take a sip of water. Let that marinate for a second, right? Let's just assume that nobody here is going to know what you did or what you're thinking about doing. What would you do if God gave you the chance to get back at one of your enemies? Or, since, I mean, we're good folk here, so I, I don't think most of us. Somebody who's hurt you really, 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 really bad. Let's see what David did. Look over at 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. Now, i tell you one thing. The best of us will find it hard to pass up an opportunity to get back at someone who's really hurt us, who's caused us pain, who's caused us inconvenience. I think it's easier to forgive someone for maybe a slight, you know, like, all right, he cut you off. All right, you can, yeah, I'm not going to. But what about a relationship that has just progressed over time? It's that one family member that you know when they're coming to a family reunion, you just, you, you're, you're, you're contemplating whether or not you want to go. Or they show up at a family function and you sit on the opposite side of the room just to avoid that person because you, you're trying to guard your heart and be spiritual, right? Or that brother or that sister that says something sideways to you at church, you stand outside the door. You don't even come in anymore. You sit outside and wait for service to be over. You know, the way David dealt with Saul has really convicted my heart. In verse 24, in chapter 24, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, it says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So here's what David did. David fled. He's running for his life. A lot of the psalms that we read today were written by David in the desert, running from his life, trying to avoid being caught by Saul. It says, so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep's pen along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Would that help your decision? If a brother or sister said, bro, really? God has given you an opportunity. Because he said, he's going to give you your enemies into your hand for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up, unnoticed, and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, but here's the thing, here's the thing that throws me off. David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. Hold up. What you talking about, brother? He just threw a spear at you. The Lord left him a long time ago. He sent men to kill you. He promised his son that he wouldn't lay hands on you and the next day reneged. He even told your wife he was going to kill you. And here's David. My master. The Lord's anointed. With these words, David, just like Jesus, rebuked his men. And did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave, not realizing that his life could have ended that day. David spared Saul's life. You know, in the moment when we're really feeling the heat of the hurt and the pain that our enemies are causing us, It can take us some places emotionally. It it can take us some places mentally. It can take us some places physically, punching walls, punching holes in the walls, throwing things, ranting, cursing. And I, I wrestled with this past. I said, what? What made David pass up that opportunity, even when his friends told him the Lord said you could do it? Now, honestly, I wonder, I go back and forth, you know, I wonder if David did kill Saul, would God have been upset at him? Because it was, David was going to replace him, I mean, that was a done deal. But I believe sometimes God really puts us and allows us to be in situations To see just how faithful to him we will be. Who do you listen to more? These were friends. These were his brothers. These were his right hand men. They even quoted scripture to David. But David valued his relationship with God more. He honored God more. And that's what inspired him to value the life of his enemy. David was a man of integrity. Proverbs 11 verse 3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. David was guided by his integrity. He showed Saul grace not because he deserved it, But because he loved God, I think far too often we want our enemies to pay. We think that the answer lies in punishment, in suffering. The Bible says that God is a God of love, not a God of suffering. Even when it comes to his enemies, what did Jesus pray when he was on the cross? He had the perfect opportunity. He could have called down the angels. But instead, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. I pray that that's my prayer. I I, I tried to put it into practice. Lord, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm not saying... That Any of this is easy. But it is absolutely possible. And let me tell you something. We come out better by choosing to show love and grace over vengeance. You see, we're just thinking about that slight. We're we're, we're thinking this way. God is thinking this way. God is thinking eternity. God is thinking, if this person has a chance to turn their life around, I want to give it to them, just like I gave it to you. That's what grace is all about. Grace is about giving to those who don't deserve it. It's when we feel like we deserve it that we feel like we can can condemn and judge other people. Just because you go to church and read your Bible doesn't mean you deserve grace any more than anybody else. It just means that you got it. That something clicked and you, I'm going to get on the good side of God. I don't want to risk my grace running out. That's all it is. It's the only difference. We still sin. But when we live by God's grace, it gives even our enemies an opportunity to see God. It gives them an opportunity to see God. Most people who cause other people harm expect to be punished. They know, I'm going to get in trouble for this. But they don't expect to be shown grace. And that's how God works. That's how God works. Abraham Lincoln once said, he destroyed his enemies by loving them. How many enemies are you ready to destroy? But Jesus said, you know, Jesus gives us a way to destroy our enemies. He said he destroyed his enemies by loving them. Jesus gives us a way we can destroy our enemies. In Luke 6, verse 27, and the plane is landing. Luke 6, verses 27 to 31, Jesus says, love your enemy. That's how you can destroy him. Do good to those who hate you. Verse 27. Bless those who curse you. Verse 28. Pray for those who mistreat you. Verse 28, be merciful just as your father is merciful. David embodied this passage. So you can't tell me a sinner like David can embody Luke 6 and we can't. If David can do it, you and I can do it. If David can take the higher ground, so can you and I. If David can forgive someone who tried to take his life, you can forgive someone who broke your heart, who hurt your feelings, who betrayed your trust. It is absolutely possible. Now I will say this. There are some relationships that God will allow us to walk away from if they're going to corrupt our character and lead us away from God there are scriptures and principles that God teaches us that allows us to separate ourselves from those who are call themselves brothers or sisters and lead us away from God so we got to be wise at who we call our friends and who we deem enemies. At the end of the day, there's one enemy that we all share. One common enemy who's behind all other enemies. And that is Satan. And if you can see Satan behind these relationships, then you can overcome anything that he throws your way. Guys, let's love our enemies Let's live God's grace and not just talk about it. Let's live it. Let's show people God's grace by the way we love those who are not easy to love. It is absolutely possible. God's spirit is in you. You can do it. And to him be the glory.